0: No-till farming a public good, according to Defra's Michael Gove, so today we'll hear from a farmer already doing it.
1: You know, I just get so excited. The soil is so lovely compared with when we used to cultivate, and it was a bit of a nightmare. And later, one
0: of the Barker boys with the new ideas he's working on to make their farm Brexit-proof. I say farmers are
2: gamblers because we invest our money into a growing crop. We don't know how much it's going to produce. We don't know what weather we're going to get. We don't know what the end cost is going to be on the world market.
1: The
3: Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale.
4: Our proposed environmental land management contracts will provide farmers and other land managers with a pipeline of income, a new pipeline of income to supplement the money that they make from food production, forestry and other business activities. ELMs should be seen as an additional crop with the government, rather than the commercial player, entering into a contract with farmers to ensure that we increase the provision together of environmental services. And of course many of these will also play a part in enhancing overall farm productivity. ELM payments are designed not just to complement existing sources of income, but also to complement existing initiatives that many farmers are already pursuing. For example, The adoption of minimum tillage techniques can not only decrease costs and therefore improve productivity overall, but they also reduce runoff and erosion. Well, that's a public good, which contributes to improving water quality and for which farmers should be properly paid. Hello, Michael
0: Gove there, speaking at the Oxford Farming Conference at the start of the year, expanding on his public money for public good theme, outlined a year ago. So is no-till farming one way to continue post-Brexit? John Cherry is very passionate about the technique. He's been doing it on his farm for the last eight years.
1: We haven't done any cultivating at all on our land for, for eight years. And we've 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 made some hideous mistakes. We've we we've, we've we've learned some a lot of good things, a lot of bad things. But basically, our soils are improved beyond measure, and uh, we've managed to cut our inputs enormously. So, what made you go down that route? It, it was a. Uh, I've always had a feeling that the soil doesn't need disturbing, and it, it it's. Um, because it isn't in nature, you know, God doesn't plough, where the hell should we have to? I mean, obviously we're growing crops that, that um, have evolved to take advantage of disturbed soil, really. I mean, annual crops are, uh, you know, they're, they're not the same as perennial crops. But, but the, the, the principle still remains, it's, it's all about the soil, basically. The, the soil is our, um, our, um, it's, 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 it's our most important asset, and, and it's, it's, it, no till is looking after the soil. And it is. It's crucial, isn't
0: it? Without that soil, we won't have farming, will we?
1: We won't have farming. And, 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 and um, yeah, the nation that destroys its soil destroys itself. I mean, we'd, we've seen this happen countless times you know, through history. And, it's arguable that every great civilization has destroyed their soil, lost their soil. You know, the land of milk and honey in the time of the Bible is now a, a, a desert. You know, and North Africa, which the Romans conquered for for, for those fantastic wheat-growing areas, is now a desert. You know, it's not. Yeah, um, uh, you know, you've got to look after your soil. We've got. You know, we're only nine miles away from Anarchy. You know, the na- you know, the government needs to make sure that we can feed ourselves. That, uh,
0: As you mentioned, you know, you look at. Um, rivers, you look at ditches, and they're so muddy. That's so- and that's that yeah. soil that's just being lost, isn't it, off the farm, and it shouldn't be.
1: It's, yeah, it's been lost, and it, and and it, worse than that is is costing someone else, you know, to to clear it up. That whole Somerset levels thing it was all, you know, they're on about dredging the the channels so the water could get away. But why do they need to dredge it? Because all the blinking silt has come down from the hills. It, it's a, it's a, yeah, it and and it is. It's, it takes thousands of years to make it, make good soil, and it can be lost in a, a single thunderstorm so uh, you 're passionate about no-till. Are you seeing it becoming more
0: i don 't know i don 't want to say in fashion, but are, are other farmers you know, coming on board and more farmers seeing the benefits and thinking yes, this is the future
1: yes definitely i mean we, we 've been running a, some annual show the Grantswell show last three years. And the first year we had so 400 people and they all got very excited, and, you know, the last year we were up to about 1250 people. And it's, um, you know, farmers and they're paying good money to come and learn all about it. And a, a, a lot of them are, um, a lot of people are dissatisfied with the current system. They're not making money, they're spending an absolute fortune um, on inputs. and. And having to work harder and harder to, to force their soils into a seedbed or whatever. And so it's a, um, yeah, no, there's certainly there's, there's a lot more interest out there. And there's definite benefits from no till, <laughs> Definite benefits, yeah. I mean, you, you know, if you get it, you get it wrong, you, you know, there's definite things that can go wrong. But it's a, uh, um, a but that, that applies to any kind of farming. Yeah, there's def but I mean, the, the long-term benefits. I was wandering around our farm yesterday with a spade and it. You know, I just get so excited. The soil is so lovely compared with when we used to cultivate, and it was a bit of a nightmare.
0: What's the biggest thing you've learned, then? Biggest mistake you've made and you've learned from?
1: Oh, blimey. He's got um, his
0: head in his hands, I should point out. <laughs>
1: <then>. <laughs> I can't be... I'm, I'm quite good at blanking out the hideous mistakes. Mm. Um, the biggest thing, I... I, I yeah. You, well, it, it's what... It's, Bizarrely, it's farming with nature. You know, we're told we ought to be farming for nature, but actually if we can farm with nature, if we can get Mother Nature on our side, life is so much easier and more fun. You know, We actually get a huge amount of pleasure from... you know, The, the place is lousy with, with skylarks and, and birds, which are all meant to be becoming extinct on farmland, and we're just getting more and more every year because there's so many other things going on. We don't use insecticides anymore, and we don't have problems with... with um, slugs and things as a result. We've got so many beetles. It's all about getting nature on your side. And and, and she provides the fertiliser and all the, you know, the, the plant care that we need.
0: That's John Cherry on the benefits after a few mistakes of no-till farming. Of course, we all know that having healthy soils is crucial for farming to survive. Water and soil both rare resources if lost. Here's what farmer Oliver Dowding, who's also from the Green Party, had to say just before Christmas.
5: If we lose the soils we've got now, and the actual structure of the soils is, is struggling, we've got to keep organic matter in the soils and we've got to keep the soil food web. All the zillions of species that we've not even, we don't know a fraction of the, the species that are operating in the soil. We've got to keep them all in balance because they work together. And somebody was talking just now, we were talking about the mycelial activity, the fungal activity in in the soil so trees actually talk to each other much as it might sound like a prince charles wacky idea they do actually talk to each other through the web of fungi in the soil so we've got to get to realize that every action we have on something has a consequence and so we've got to look after the soils reinvigorate them get the organic matter up and get them stable and if we do that they can hold thousands of gallons more water per acre without causing a problem and in terms of our water management for the future, which we saw a lot of pressure on that this summer, it's crucial. And you s- I saw it within the woodland side, within the apple trees. The soil the trees were deep-rooted, and they were able to get the, soil, get the water. So what can, what can our farmers do, then, to help make that happen? No till? Um, I'm perfectly happy with no-till it's a great system and it's possible that we might even need to allow the use of certain chemicals that we don't intrinsically like, we've got to massage the change make it happen over a period of time because if we make any change too rapid then we'll probably have unintended consequences so yeah, farmers have got to no-till if they can, they've got to minimal disturb but also put organic matter back into soils and give them a give the whole soil structure uh, the friendly structure and and life forms within it that will allow it to be totally interactive and working for us and not being beaten to pieces by us.
0: The Green Party's Oliver Dowding there. Listening with interest, as always, our agronomist Sean Sparling from Sparling Agronomy Services. Morning, Sean.
6: Yes, good morning, Sean. A lot of very, very good systems out there. It would be very foolish of me to come down on one side or the other. What I would say is I'm probably more of an omni-system type person. Um, I don't believe that any one of the systems that is being run in isolation out there is the best system. I don't believe there is a perfect system because we're pretty much in the hands of the weather when it comes to to a lot of what we do i've I've said it before it's 80% luck and 20% skill this job we can frit around the edges but if the weather decides to come too wet at the wrong time too dry too hot too cold at the wrong time then we suffer irrespective of which system we're using and there were drawbacks from certain systems last year Min till no till suffered quite badly in the drought um Previous years, we've seen the opposite, uh, where people use a lot of organic manures. That always stands a drought better because it holds its moisture better. And there is no question that the better you look after the soil, the more it's going to stand extremes of weather. Um, However, every system... Preserves the soil in one way or another. No system is perfect. Um, You've got min-till, no-till, inversion, non-inversion, organic, hybrid, organic, conventional, controlled traffic. And if you talk to an exponent of each one of those systems, each one will tell you they can't understand why everybody doesn't do what they do because theirs is the perfect system. For me, if there is such a thing as a perfect system, it is the ability to be flexible, dipping in and out of each one of the systems to pull the best from each one to produce a hybrid of all of those systems. And being able to call on a certain cultivation if you need it or a certain variety or rotational any of those things we should be able to call on all of those things to deal with a particular issue and with that flexibility comes you get closer to perfection but there is no such thing as a perfect system each one has its merits and each one is good um, in its own way now what I would also say is we've got to be very careful about what Mr Gove throws his weight behind Um, I'd be worried if I was a no-till farmer if he's thrown his weight behind it he does seem to have this reputation for Jumping in with both feet and listening to certain people and making a decision based upon one argument. Uh, we've seen that with the neonicotinoids. He dismissed all of the technical science, all the fact that was coming from independent scientists. Um, the rest of the world looked at the same data and decided that actually the benefits of neonicotinoid seed dressing far outweighed any risks to bees and pollinators. So therefore, they're sticking with them and we've lost them. And that will have massive implications to UK ag- agriculture we may well see it this year with mysers persicae aphids in such high levels as they are out there in the field which carry the beet western yellows virus we may well see a return to that and that could not yield by up to 40 percent we may well next year see a return to BYDV barley yellow dwarf virus because the neonics aren't going to be protecting cereal seed. now not everybody uses those seed dressings, but it's because so many people have used them for so long that the ones who don't use them have got away with it, if you like, but it's been very apparent the last two bad years we've seen for BYDV. The fields which use neonicotinoids didn't suffer, um, and it didn't really matter whether you use two, four, or six pyrethroids on the virus vectors in the autumn, you did not control BYDV without neonicotinoids. 2012 was the last bad year we had. We may well see that, as I've said, in sugar beet. So it's very difficult when you get someone like Michael Gove. Uh, Deciding on policy, when any politician decides to dabble and interfere in the work that scientists are doing, I think it's a very sad day for agriculture. And don't forget that Mr. Gove hasn't yet made it set his stall out on glyphosate. He wasn't particularly supportive when we got the five year re-registration last year. We're already a year down. There's four years to go. And if Mr. Gove decides to listen to the wrong people um, and decides to get rid of glyphosate, then it's absolutely irrelevant whether you're on a no-till, min till system, conventional system, it will absolutely destroy the job because we won't be able to farm with no till, min till control Traffic without glyphosate. Cover crops will disappear without glyphosate. And the control of blackgrass, um, bromes, bents, uh, resistant blackgrass, cooch grass, all of those things will become far more of a problem and probably too much of a problem if we were to lose glyphosate. So we need to be very careful of politicians dabbling and interfering. He's already got rid of Nixon, and metaldehyde has just got rid of, so we've no metaldehyde beyond June 2020. Uh, we as an industry have written to him to ask to see the data that supports that decision, because as yet, none of us have seen it, and none of us can understand it. So, very difficult situation we find ourselves in, but as I say, every system's got its own merits. So, moving on to agronomy then, all rate, very little going on out there. A lot of cabbage stem flea beetle larvae in the stems. Don't waste your time, your money or your effort spraying them because it is a waste of time. You will do no good. No light leaf spot to speak of or foamer out there. If you've still got propitamide to put on, you've got till the end of January. If you've got carbetamide to put on, you've got till the end of February. And a lot of cultivations going on out there in the field. Winter wheat, there's, there is um, just to still winter wheat going in the ground and remember that if you drill winter wheat past the 1st of February, it becomes a spring wheat so that has complications and implications for pre emergence herbicides you can't use some things post stem are the same on a spring wheat crop that you can on a winter wheat crop Um, a lot of yellow rust out there in susceptible early drill varieties but nothing you can do make a note of it um, and deal with that at t0 now is not the time to deal with it but Five mil of rain since the 23rd of December means there's a lot of good seedbeds out there. There's a lot of spring crop going in, a lot of cultivations going on. And I know this might not be popular, but to me, if we're going to get rain, and we desperately need it, by the way, make no mistake about that, Um, We need that rain. We might as well have it now as in six to eight weeks' time. Let's have a wet January and February. Let's get some reservoirs filled, ditches filled up, aquifers running, because we're desperately going to need that should we get another summer like 2018. We shall see. Of course, with the detailed weather for this week, later in the
0: programme, that's Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. There was more evidence of further consolidation in the grain sector this week, with news that Gleadol Agriculture will, if all goes to plan, soon be owned outright by ADM. That's the US-owned Archer Daniels Midland Company. The firm already owns 50% of Gleadol, with the French agri-cooperative in vivo. But on Thursday, ADM revealed it had signed an agreement to take on the extra 50%, subject to a regulatory review. In other grain news, Fengrain has agreed to contract its grain trading and marketing services to Frontier, though negotiations are continuing this weekend over the terms of that agreement. Uh, We're told to expect an announcement in mid-February. Anyway, that's all ifs and buts right now. Let's uh, move on to a few certainties in the grain trade. Here's Rebecca Pierce with the latest from the team at Open Field.
3: Good morning, Sean. Happy New Year, everyone. It's good to be back. However, as usual, I'm bringing you an update, and the markets are down. The wheat market has had a bit of a spanking this week. To be fair. London wheat futures were lower from the off this week, with May opening the week at £177.25 and closing over £4 lower on Thursday at £173.00. New crop November wheat futures were also lower, down £3.50 from Monday's open to yesterday's close at £156.50. Farm selling has certainly picked up since the turn of the year, but at present the UK market lacks any real direction And fundamentals like basic supply and demand appear almost irrelevant at the moment with the ongoing Brexit debacle causing so much currency volatility. Interestingly, this week saw the UK sterling make a move against the euro to levels not seen since the end of November last year. When you factor in the recent US government shutdown resulting in no data coming forward on export sales and fund positions and so on, with the fact that Russia have been seen to be reiterating there would be no export restrictions despite domestic prices rising higher, The Russian Agricultural Ministry this week stated that it was not discussing imposing any grain export limits thus far. It's understandable why the wheat market seems reluctant to embrace higher levels and higher prices. With the current price difference between old crop and new crop wheat, circa £30 a tonne, if we look at July prices versus harvest 19 prices, I'd be inclined to look at selling a percentage of old crop that's left unsold in the shed. Similar to the UK wheat market, we've seen the UK oilseed rate market trade lower this week. After Theresa May's Brexit deal suffered the heaviest government defeat in history on Tuesday, the potential Brexit delay and no-deal scenario saw currency firm, and ex-farm values have retreated around £5 a tonne versus a week ago, with both buyers and sellers at the moment lacking confidence in the direction our market will go. There's definitely been a lack of statements and tweets about the ongoing US and China trade discussions this week, although it has now come about that it is known that further meetings between the two are scheduled to take place at the end of the month. Meanwhile, there remains talk surrounding the Argentinian soybean crop and the unpredictable South American weather giving some support to prices after hitting recent two-week lows let's have a look at prices now and they are notably weaker than a week ago with spot feed wheat trading around 165 to 170 pounds a ton with a pound per ton per month forward carry to may where prices are circa 170 to 175 pounds a ton x the farm if we look ahead to harvest and we can see that those prices too are also weaker with feed wheat ex combine sliding below 150 pounds a ton now in most areas as a guide as available wheat is trading between 144 and 148 pounds a ton with a forward carry to november 19 where values are circa 148 to 152 pounds a ton Feed barley continues to trade at a discount to feed wheat, but in areas where there is a strong demand and perhaps a lack of grain coming forward at the farm gate, prices remain firm. As a result, there's quite a range in the spread of prices, with values anywhere between 155 to £165 pounds a tonne, area dependent. Off the combine and most growers now will be looking around 130 to £135 pounds a tonne for as-available feed barley. Premiums for molten barley continue to trade in a similar range to what we've seen previously. However, over reduced feed prices in some areas will make values look weaker than a couple of weeks ago. Premiums for springs are circa £25 to £30 a tonne over feed, with winters currently around £15 a tonne over feed. As ever, it's best to speak to your local open field farm business manager for the latest values and opportunities in your area. The bean market remains fairly quiet. Feed bean levels continue to trade between two hundred and twenty-three to two hundred and thirty pounds a tonne extra farm for January movement, with a pound per ton per month forward carry. And whilst premiums for human consumption parcels remain attractive, the demand does appear to be easing with most shipments covered. If you are looking to drill beans this spring, it may be worth looking at some of our buyback opportunities available for this harvest. Again, get in touch for more specifics. Oil seed rate values too took a step backwards early on this week and similar to the wheat market are lower than where we were a week ago, easing on the back of a much firmer currency surrounding the Brexit vote discussions. Prices appear to remain very much about the spot position. However, despite values weakening on last week, they do seem to struggle to trade below £320 a tonne exafarm, farm. And growers for February are still currently able to achieve 320 to £323 a tonne, with a forward carry to May, where values are 323 to £327 a tonne. New crop harvest prices continue to trade around £310 a tonne off combine, dependent on area.
0: Thanks, Rebecca. That's Rebecca Pierce from Open Field. If you use social media or, indeed, have attended a number of recent conferences, you probably will have heard of the Barker boys. Uh, Brian Barker is one of them at the farm in Suffolk. He partly goes back to Michael Gove's comments earlier about public money for public good, you know, finding ways to ensure whatever happens in Brexit, the farm will survive. But really, it's all about finding new ideas. Try new ideas, but challenge the
2: mindset. So... I'm a great believer, if I hear the words, that's the way we've always done it, then I need to know why. And I need to step back from my business, take my blinkers off, and embrace what the actual bigger picture is. And when I did this through the HTB Monitor Farm program, I got a sort of understanding that I'd set my business up for the worst case scenario. I was always worried about not getting crops in the ground. I was always worried about what I was doing, I was worried about my neighbors thinking. But actually, when you actually step back and look at the bigger picture, I've changed my system now to be better for my business. We're making more money, which is the goal of an agricultural uh, business. Um, But also the way I'm farming is actually benefiting the farmed environment. So I'm improving my water quality, I'm improving my air quality, I'm improving my soil, and
0: I'm making money. So it's all good, really, by just sitting there and challenging my mindset. And and challenging is is important, isn't it? And trying to bring other farmers with you as well to embrace these changes that have got to happen.
2: Yeah, we're look, looking going forward with everything going on with the dreaded B word of Brexit. There is uncertainty, and but with uncertainty comes opportunities. And so the AHDB with the Modern Farm Programme and the AHDB Strategic Farm, which I am for the East, we're trying to create a story that farmers can follow to look at their businesses in a different manner, to see if they can change their operations, to see if they can just eke out those marginal gains that we hear about in sport a lot. We can do it in farming. And there's research going on, coming down from the big research and entities like uh, Rothenstead and the research companies, NIAB, ADAS. They're showing that there's something out there that farmers can do. And my job as a strategic farm is to put it out on a big scale over my fields and show farmers the worth of doing it slightly differently
0: and benefiting us long term as an industry You describe farming as almost being farmers, as almost being gamblers in, yeah. in, in a way, they, they're gambling every day how can we stop that do you think? Should we? I don't think you'll ever be able to stop us gambling because there's a
2: management of a risk management that needs to be done I say farmers are gamblers because we invest our money into a growing crop. We don't know how much it's going to produce. We don't know what weather we're going to get. We don't know what the end cost is going to be on the world market. And we sometimes get it right, we sometimes get it wrong. And so we are always gambling. And and farmers have gambled for generations about producing food. And it's about being the best farmers to make sure that we go to that gambling table and we win year on year. And if we can do that, and my personal business goes better and i leave my farmed environment my soil my environment everything in a better
0: stead than when i took it on that gamble was worthwhile how's the gamble been this year we live in the the driest part of the country if you like how's it been in suffolk particularly with the dry summer that we had
2: yeah the dry summer did cause a lot of trouble um we have a clay-based soil so we've got a nice water reserve but our yield suffered so normally our our average winter wheat crop is about 10.2 a five-year average tons per hectare Um, this year our average was 8.6 so we've had a reduction in yield but then we had a knock-on that with a reduced production we've got an increase in market price at the gate so it sort of buffered it from from what it had but the real sort of scary thing was that when we started our spring to where we finished where we normally have nearly 140 mil of rain we recorded 12 so and when you're looking at the role of plants harbouring sunlight recycling sunlight needing moisture to push this um, production of sugars to then produce yield and growth we just didn't have it so then I had to rain my inputs in so I wasn't going to spend as much but still my cost of production compared to last year was reduced even on a reduced yield so I've actually Actually done better because um, I've really again challenged my management to benefit the cost of production of actually growing a ton of wheat. So I've I've reduced it last year. I've reduced it again this year in a really adverse condition. So next year, all going well. If we get a perfect season, which we never know, we've (laughs) had a fairly easy autumn, but um, coming through, we've got a long way to go. And I'm going to be throwing chips on that table, gambling all the way, thinking how much can I actually throw to get a return and hopefully the return will be good for for farming in in general.
0: Let's hope so. Brian Barker, one of the Barker boys from Suffolk. One gamble we always have to take is with the weather, so what's in store this week?
3: The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast.
0: Well, it's a battle this week between milder air from the Atlantic and bitterly cold winds from the east. Only one can win. At the moment, it looks like the winds will be more from the northwest for much of the week, but if that changes, then that could bring snow. Certainly, we are expecting a few wintry showers whatever happens, especially tomorrow night uh, into Tuesday and again later on Wednesday and then the latter end of the week. Temperatures generally around three during the day. Overnight they're around freezing point, maybe just below for a time. Now, it is that wind direction that's crucial to the week ahead. Our hourly updates will keep you fully informed. And, of course, should the weather turn, we'll ensure we are across it uh, day and night. For now, though, that is the forecast. I've just checked. No one's put in a vote of no confidence against me. Uh, Not yet, anyway. That means the programme is back at the same time next week. Until then, take care.